Hello, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, PenLive's opinion editor and host of Battleground PA. Thanks for tuning in. With all the turmoil in the Middle East these days, we decided it's time to talk about it. And we've brought in an expert on Iran who just happens to also be a professor of international affairs at Harrisburg University. Dr. Mehdi Norbash will share his insights into the potential for war between the United States and Iran. And helping us to understand what this all means for Pennsylvania, we have our regular podcast conservative commentator Jeffrey Lord. And we're joined today, special guest, Pennsylvania Capital Star Editor-in-Chief and former Penn Live Opinion Editor John Mysick is with us. So we've got a lot to talk about today, so please stay tuned. This is Battleground PA, a Penn Live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, guys, it's good to have you all here. Welcome back, John Mysick. Seems like old times for you here, right? It's, yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> Wonderful. And Jeffrey, you're an old hand at this, so you know how things are going to go. But I really want to welcome and begin things with Dr. Norbash. Welcome, Dr. Norbash. Thank you very much, Joyce. Appreciate Listen, it. we're going to start our conversation with just getting some an overview, just some practical contextual information about Iran. And of course, you were born in Iran, still have family in Iran. And and our condolences, you also just lost your father in Iran. So you're very close to the ground and what's going Mm -hmm. on. So Mm -hmm. as we look at this, give us a little context about, first of all, about you and your expertise, and then about what do things look like in Iran right now? I came to this country in 1974 to finish my education. And I started, of course, with engineering. And then with the Iranian Revolution, I changed my major. Overall, you know, I liked uh, political science. I got, you know, my degrees from University of Texas in Austin, PhD, and I went, you know, to Harvard for postdoc. And then I joined Harrisburg University from the second year that the school started until two years ago that I gave it up. And I'm teaching now courses at the graduate level, mostly international relation, international business. And this is overall, you know, me. Clearly, when I first came to Harrisburg, one of the yeah, first people yeah. they told me I had to meet was yeah, Dr. Norbash. <laughs> so, and by the way, you're also vice president of the World Affairs Council of Thank Harrisburg you, so, yeah. and the founder yeah, of that. Yeah. So let's get into it. I mean, a lot of what we're dealing with here has to do with the killing of Qasem Soleimani. Can you please tell us who he was and why this guy is so important? Qasem Soleimani was a soldier in the Iran-Iraq war. And as you know, that war started in 1980 and ended in 1988. And those people who went to Iran-Iraq war and they were participating actively like Qasem Soleimani, later on, two years, three years after the beginning of the war, The United States sided with Saddam Hussein, and they had uh, many of those, you know, those people who were in the Iran-Iraq war, they had a a tendency to be anti-American in that sense, too. And Qasem Soleimani is, of course, one of them. But it want to take you back a little bit to the history of Iran. This is very important as a context to know. Iranian entered into a constitutional revolution in 1906 to 1911, the first country in the Middle East 
that really consider democracy and democratic institution, and they are battling Dino since then. And then, of course, in 1953, we have a coup that was organized by the British intelligence and the CIA and under Eisenhower, and a democratically elected government of Iran was toppled. We are talking about... Well, that, that's Musa. something I think many Americans actually do not yeah, uh, have yeah, that yeah, kind of yeah, history. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those people who were involved during that time in the Iranian oil nationalization and democratization of Iran. And Mossadegh, of course, you know, had two issues with the Shah. Uh, number one, you know, his discussion was that, of course, we have to nationalize the Iranian oil. And number two, we have to democratize the country. And he got the majority vote in the parliament of Iran to become the prime minister. And he was a legal, democratically elected prime minister of Iran. And the British, unfortunately, under the Truman administration, uh, Truman was very close with Mossadegh and very much cherishing you know, what Mossadegh was doing in the area of democracy. But when Eisenhower came to power, things, of course, you know, changed. And many of those who were activists during that time, uh, my father-in-law, who later mm-hmm. on, of course, yes. became Ibrahim the Yazdi. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They came back with the Iranian Revolution, and they carried out the Iranian Revolution. So basically what I'm hearing is that in Iran's attempts to struggle, or some people to struggle, yeah. toward democracy, yeah. we had, first of all, the unseating of Mossadegh, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. coup uh, yeah, uh, against yeah, him, yeah. which basically obliterated the bl- yeah. democracy. Yeah. Are there... In the killing of Soleimani, are there echoes of that? Are people remembering, oh, this, w- the last time America struck, it was to take out our democracy? Is that really uh, not, what's playing not, out? Not only that. That was, of course, 1953. That was the siding of the United States with Saddam Hussein. Uh, and now in Iran, uh, you know that Iran went through one of the largest opposition demonstrations in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And the government haven't seen, you know, anything like that in, in the last, you know, couple of years since, you know, the Iranian revolution. And the country after, of course, Soleimani is absolutely, I don't know if you have seen, you know, the picture of the funeral well, today. Been a lot of uh, millions, yes, millions yes, are yes. out and very much they are angry with the United States for two reasons. Uh, number one, of course, they go back to the history and number two, Iran is in a middle of a battle for democracy. And anything that the United States you know, does, does in Iran has implication internally. And very much as you know, when the Obama administration finally went through, of course, GCPOA, the nuclear deal, that was the battle that the moderate in Iran won against, mm-hmm. of course, the conservatives. The conservatives were always against, of course, America, against the American interests. But the Iranians, the moderate that have the majority in Iran, and the elections show, they, they wanted to end you know, that conflict with the United States. And that has been always so the argument. So basically what, what we're seeing is that because of the killing of Soleimani, unfortunately, the hardliners are going to get yes. the upper hand, the moderates. The people pushing for democracy really have been hurt by this. This is overall, you know, what it is at the moment. And Khamenei regained back the unity of the country after the last couple of weeks of demonstration. And many of those people who are out for the funeral are not really, or not the majority of them, liking the Iranian government. 
Right. They are nationalists. That sentiment. So this will unify, unfortunately, Iranians this against the United unified, States. Okay. And this is what it is. So, so let me bring in our other people here. But let me just ask you one, one simple question. Do you think this is really going to lead to a war? And what would that war look like? I mean, we're not going to have American forces on one side of a line and Iranian forces on the other. Yeah. Iran has a way of fighting. How does it fight? True proxies. And I hope that there is no war. Uh, this is overall, you know, my, 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 my prayer at the moment. And many, even at, at the moment in Iran, they are emphasizing that we better not get involved in any war, even in the midst of, you know, that emotion at the moment. And this is overall, you know, the argument. Didn't we tell you, whatever, you know, we do, it is not enough. You can't trust the United States is what, what the United yeah. States. Well, let's, let's bring in uh, John Mysick and Jeffrey Lord into this. You've, you've kind of heard a little bit of the context and at least from the perspective of Iran, what's going on on the ground. So how are your different constituencies seeing this? I mean, is there concern? Is there hurrah, rah, rah? I mean, what's going on? So let's start with you, Jeffrey. Well, I think the Trump base, if you will, one of the reasons they supported Donald Trump was precisely because he was not, as we say in the political trade, a neoconservative. He was more of a Reaganite in the sense that, you know, he was not wanted to sending troops everywhere around the world and all of that kind of thing. So they look at this and the president himself said the other day, this is not to start a war, it's to end a war. I don't think there's any chance that he's going to invade Iran. But he might bomb Iran, right? Well... (laughs) I mean, what what he is going to be tough about Mm -hmm. is if you're going to come after us, then we're going to respond, Mm -hmm. which frankly is his policy all around the world. It's not just Iran. Mm -hmm. Let's bring in Mysick. What are your folks telling you, at least on the other side of the spectrum? Well, I I don't know what folks I'm speaking for per se here. But, you know, Joyce, I do a fair amount of foreign commentary Mm -hmm. as well and spent the best part of the weekend on Canadian television and on UK radio. And listening, I'll tell you what's enlightening about this is the reaction from our overseas allies. The Canadian government, they've halted military exercises in Iraq as a consequence of this. Uh, the coalition forces have halted their ISIS fighting exercises as a, as, a, as a consequence of this. And there's real skepticism and confusion about the long-term strategic goals of this exercise. Look, we can stipulate up front that the world is a provably better place without Qasem Soleimani in it. The question that becomes, and you need to hold these separate thoughts in your hands at the same time, is what did we gain from that attack? If the intent was to take out this player on the ground, he's already been replaced. Iran has withdrawn from the JCPOA. The administration's rationale for withdrawing from it was that 15 years wasn't long enough. Well, congratulations. It's been less than five now, and now Iran has dropped the deal entirely. So they're questioning the long-term strategic benefit of this. They're questioning the safety of their people on the ground. So those have been really enlightening conversations to have. Right. Well, but, but I have to say that at least according to Trump's rationale for this was that there was imminent danger. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you seeing that there's was, I mean, from what you're seeing on the ground, I mean, why was Soleimani in Iraq in the first place? I mean, tell, tell so, us so, about so, that. Soleimani has been in Iraq. Uh, is, is not, you know, the first time. Soleimani has been very active in Iraq. But you have to remember that Soleimani has been in Iraq with Abu Mahdi Mohandes, who mm-hmm. was the vice of the Hashr al-Shabi. He died also in the He attack. died also, right. and a couple of the others. They were crucial in defeating Daesh, ISIS. Mm-hmm. And this is what we do not understand. Of course, we understand that America, of course, is against Soleimani and others who are anti-American. But you have to give it time. You have to take advantage. Even at the moment... Iran is negotiating with Taliban, and that is what the United States is doing. 
And that is not, of course, breaking any deal between the United States and, you know, Taliban. Then Iran is, is a double-sided, you know, sword in a sense that you have to have patience on one side strategically. They have, you know, some common, you know, type of, you know, interest mm-hmm. in the Middle East with the United States. In the other, on the other side, they don't. We understand it. I, am, I totally don't understand it. But Soleimani has been over there uh, and nobody can deny that he was one of a crucial figure in Iraq in, in, in kicking you know, ISIS out of the Well, that, that's Iraq. a good point. One of the things that Americans really frankly don't understand is the serious divisions, even within the Islamic, you know, if you call it Islamic <laughs> terrorism networks, there are divisions. I mean, is there any concern that we've lost some very valuable people with trying to really crush ISIS and, and some of the more Sunni-oriented terrorist groups? I think the major concern was, as you speak, the imminent danger of an attack on Americans. And we all know what would have happened had nothing been done and an attack like that taken place and there were, you know, one American or hundreds of Americans killed. Then they would all say to the president, why why didn't you do anything? You knew about this. Why didn't you do anything? Well, John, but not everybody agrees that. I well, mean, it, that, but, but, <laughs> the imminent I, danger has been imminent for decades now. I, mm-hmm. th- that's the issue here. We know Iran does not have the capacity to strike the, the mainland United States in a military way. The Atlanta hacking attack from a year ago, year or so ago, was orchestrated by Iranian Soviet forces, so they do have that capacity. What you would have seen is, is either attacks by Iranian proxies in the Middle East on American military installations or direct attacks by Iranian forces on American forces, which would have been suicidal because we would have struck back with unremitting force. So this idea that we had to get him before he didn't do something to us seems the most extreme wagging of the dog. And we haven't really had – I mean, Jeffrey, have we had any kind of – Proof for it. I mean, the, he, the intelligence he, on this has been sketchy. Yeah, here's here's one. Well, of know, the, here, no, wait. Here's one of the problems we have. You know, we have this problem that Trump really doesn't trust the CIA. He doesn't trust the deep state, but yet he trusted them on this. And right. remember when we had Mark here, Mark Polymeropoulos, I I pushed him. I said, you know, you guys sent us to war in Iraq with some bad information. Exactly. Why would he trust them now? Well, because he apparently thought that their information was good, and I, and I do find this kind of amazing that all these people who were critical of him for not trusting the intelligence agency, he finally listens to them. And then they said, no, you no, shouldn't but, have but done that. But you see, here's the problem. He listens to them, but people don't trust him, you know, because of the other stuff he said that turned out. I mean, he, he hasn't been exactly truthful. And in a situation like this, isn't this when you want to really believe what your president says? I mean, I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, the, yeah. the peak of the Iranian threat mm-hmm. to the United States in Iraq was 2007. Mm-hmm. When, when the American, of course, after a few years after the invasion and the Iranian were pushing so hard with Nouri al-Maliki, who was very close to the Bush administration, to kick the Americans out. The, the roadside in a bombing and all of those. That week is gone because at the moment, and you saw it in the Iraqi parliament, the Iraqi parliament came and voted that the United States should, you know, should go out. Iran does not have any problem that it had in the past in terms of the American existence in Iraq. At the moment, they have enough influence. They have, you know, Sistani and others that later on, definitely they would have, you know, decided that in the future, America, you know, has to go So, so let me ask, you don't think there was an imminent threat? I mean— I, I really do not. I really don't. do not think. As I said, the imminent threat, a threat overall, you know, is a justification in my understanding— that was a plan of the Trump administration. That was a plan, of course, of the Israelis and, the, of course, the, the Saudis in the region. Uh, and all of the allies of the United States, and we see it now. 
they are warning about, you know, this. This is this is a declaration of war on Iran. Trump is telling us that he doesn't want any war, but this is a war. This, is a war. this, this, this is a war. This is you are chilling a top general, like him or not, of another country in a foreign country. Is not in Iran. And let me tell you this: Iran is not a country that can be invaded. Iran is not Iraq. You, but you, but you, it can be bombed. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> and it can no, do no, 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 no. My friend, you know, yeah. Jeffrey said, you know, the, the, the invasion of Iran. Uh, the, the Iran is not, you know, one of those countries. Right, uh, right. Iran is a much more, you know, unified population in that sense, very nationalistic. But overall, you know, I am so sad at the moment that a momentum that Iran was created, you know, that a couple of weeks from now, there is an election in Iran. Yes, yes. And a Which lot is, of people decided yeah. not to participate in the election. And now, under this, you know, circumstances, a lot of conservatives, rights, they go to the parliament, and worse than any other time that you could imagine. Then those people in Washington, unfortunately, they think ideologically, they are not knowing the Middle East very well, as, they, of course, the neocons, when they invaded Iraq, they did not know, you know that country. Right. They did right. not you know that. And this is very sad, that the best interest of the United States is served in that part of the world when you are pushing for democracy and human rights and standing against those authoritarian regimes in any part of the, in any other countries. Saudi Arabia or Iran, it doesn't really matter. Right, right. Help the people. But when you see that, you know, for example, Trump is the body of, the, you know, ben, Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia, and the, Israeli, uh, the Israelis are really confiscating, you know, land of the Palestinians, and Trump, you know, very much, of course, taking the embassy to the Jerusalem, and does not think about, of course, peace in that, you know, part of the world, and all of a sudden, Iran is a target, then, then you are surprised. Well, let, let me, let, let, I, I hear you. I think you're laying out what the issues are. But let me pull it back to even Pennsylvania. So what? I mean, all of this is happening so far away, right? So what? Why should we care here in Pennsylvania, John? Because if there is a military escalation choice, if that happens, we know, I mean, there's 3,500 members of the uh, 82nd Airborne who've already shipped out of Fort Bragg, and they're on their way to the Middle East. It's not the sons and daughters of the elite who are going to be fighting this fight. It'll be the sons and daughters of the working class from Manesson, from Erie County, from Elk County, the very Trump base. Their sons and daughters, their husbands and wives are the ones who are going to be called to serve. So the idea that there's no measurable real world impact on this is a false starter. It's those very voters. It's that very constituency who are going to be called to fight in any eventual American action. God forbid if that happens. Now, Jeffrey, does that, is that any concern for the Trump base that their sons and daughters, their husbands and wives I, I, are going to be shipped I just, out? I uh-huh. just think that they, they know their man. They wanted him there specifically so he would not do things of that nature. And he is extremely well aware of all of this. And for better or worse, one of the things that's a constant in American politics is people are concerned about their own life first. And in that case, this means the economy, as it so often does in American But doesn't this have the potential elections. to hurt the economy? I mean, the oh, stock market, I was watching sure, that on Friday, and sure. boom, it, right? It, it does. But we are now just a little less than a year away from the election. We've got a very long way to go. This particular aspect, we'll have a better idea of in, say, October Do you see this? Do, do you see the possibility of this being resolved peacefully? 
Yes. Without any further, how, how do you think? Yes. What, what, what do you think? He, he'll back down. You know, I mean, of, Trump will back down, or, or Khamenei will back down. Which one? One of the things that I mention on occasion, when President Reagan fired the air traffic controllers, all the focus was on the air traffic controllers and domestic politics and all of that kind of thing. What was later learned was that the Soviets were watching. <laughs> And uh, this is what, you know. They seem to always be watching right, the right. Russians. <laughs> well, they, they began to realize that Ronald Reagan meant business. Mm. And whatever else this does, this sends a message loud and clear that if the president feels provoked, he will respond. And that, in turn, has its own sort of calming effect. It, it, well, I'm going to tell you, I'm not so sure. You know, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. And one of the things I did in, the, in writing this book on martyrs before I came to Harrisburg was really go to Iran and try to get a sense of, of what it is about these people that would send, for example, a 13-year-old boy to die as a suicide bomber, throw his body underneath the tank, right. an invading tank. That's a whole different ball of wax. I don't see people like that backing down. If there's a martyr complex there. There's a desire to fight to the finish tinged with religion. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. You tell me I'm wrong. No, I, 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 have, I have to respectfully disagree you know, with Jeffrey on this point, that yes, Americans you know, are concerned about economy, but this country is about freedom and idealism. Mm-hmm. And we think about it. If tomorrow you know, somebody take over this country and tell the American people that I give you the economy, the best economy that you want, but I take everything you know, your freedoms. Don't you think, you know, Americans really think about it twice? Well, Absolutely. And this is the argument that I have, you know, with my uh, good, you know, friends. I have, you know, on the conservative, you know, sides that people are more than economy. People are idealism. People are decency. People are, you know, values. And in this country, don't sell, you know, the whole argument to the economy. Go back to the root of you know those moral issues, and one of the most important thing that you know I'm, I'm very concerned about. America is losing its moral authority in many parts of the world, well, that, and this is what we have to be concerned because if America loses the moral authority. Definitely, America would lose well, let, on the economic ground. I hear you. Let me come back. We have to take a break now. When I come back, it's going to be turned over to John because he's been <laughs> raring to say something. But if you want to join us, please do send us a message at Battleground PA on Twitter or on Facebook. And we'll be right back to continue this conversation. Well, welcome back. We have been in intense discussion about just what is going to happen next with regard to U.S. and Iran relations. There's some hope that things could be calmed down, Jeffrey said, but there's also concerns that they could be heated up quite a bit. But, John, you wanted to yeah, weigh I, in. I mean, taking the long view on this, we've, we've been creeping toward war with Iran probably since 1953 with the CIA helped orchestrate the deposition of the Shah. So the question is, how do you come? how do you walk back from that? And, Joyce, you asked if there's an immediate resolution. I think any diplomatic solution to this has been foreclosed for at least the life of this administration for the, say, for the next year or for the four years following that if the Trump White House uh, wins re-election. Iran's bottom line condition for going back into the JCPOA is the lifting of American economic sanctions. I can't envision a scenario where the American government does that. So that – I mean that forecloses a diplomatic resolution on that issue allowing Iran to go back to uranium enrichment towards building its nuclear arsenal, towards becoming more of a destabilizing power in that part of the world. 
So I think at least for the life of this administration, that that kind of diplomatic avenue is closed off. Things may settle down, but we saw just a year ago with carrier groups going to the Gulf where we thought we were again coming to the verge of something. We're now at the verge of something here again. Things calm down. Things bubble back up again. I don't think there's an easy, as my friend Jeffrey says, an easy open and shut solution to this at all. Well, you know, and, now, and Iran is unlikely to back down just because of its national character. You raise a good point, though. We have seen even with North Korea that it seems like we go to the brink and then somehow he's able to put it back in and suddenly has a lover in North Korea. So, <laughs> do you see a, a scenario like that possible at all with Iran? Sure. I, I, I mean, to me, this is the basic. I, again, I go back to Ronald Reagan's phrase, peace through strength, uh, which dates, frankly, to George Washington and the Romans long, long, long ago, is that if you are playing from a, a, you know, a hand of military superiority that you're un- and demonstrate you know, not reckless use of it, but that y- you will, if need be, that always brings a different perspective to, to opponents. Uh, and when you do the opposite – it is perceived as weakness, and that's where you know America or any other country gets in trouble. So, uh, well, let, let's pursue. Joyce, if I could, though, I think I, 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 I think I, Joyce, I think Jeff's underlying premise is flawed. Though you point to the example of North Korea, diplomacy has failed. They've mm-hmm, not backed mm-hmm, off their nuclear mm-hmm, ambitions. Mm-hmm. They were doing they were doing missile tests just a couple of weeks ago. American forces were supposed to be withdrawn from northern from northern Syria. That was destabilizing. We tried to pull back. We had to send 800, more, 800 additional soldiers back to the region. One of the underlying promises of the, of the Trump presidency was that he would get us out of foreign entanglements. Yet, northern Syria, 3,500 troops from the 82nd Airborne going into the Middle East as a consequence of this. I, there, it's not peace through strength. The administration's approaches have not worked, Jeff. I'm sorry. Jeff, I, I have to be a little bit respectful of <laughs> this agreement with you one more time. The military force did not work in Vietnam. The military force did not work in Iraq for the United States. The military is not always working. This is overall, you know, what people in this country, they have to understand. That sometimes military works and most of the time military does not. Yes, of course, a country's strength is measured by, you know, its military too. But more than that, the character of that country, the way, you know, that country goes to negotiation I totally agree, you know, with John at the moment. That was the argument for GCPOA and the European countries, that we know we have have a problem with Iran. This is the first step. This is not the last step. We go there, then we negotiate. At the moment, this is what the Iranian government is saying. Trump administration go back to GCPOA. We sit even under the current circumstances and negotiate with this government. So it did, this let me ask you this, Jeffrey. Do you envision the possibility that perhaps President Trump might uh, say, well, guess what? Let's sit back down at the negotiating table. We'll, we'll talk now. I mean, he said they would talk, and, and it's the Iranians who've been – but if he were to pull back the possibility of nuclear I, I think the issue for him comes down to and, and others comes down to trust. If you are dealing with somebody that you see as fundamentally untrustworthy, then their word on anything is Do you uh, think they might view flawed. Trump that way though? I mean it works both ways. I mean, sure, that's the problem. sure it works both ways, but I don't see where he has you know, I mean when he says for instance to our NATO allies, you gotta pay the freight he means it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's sure is very ironic, you know. Uh, I don't know, you know, Jeff, if you know. 
that Rex Tillerson sat with Zarif in New York, and they had a very good impression from each other. And as you know, as long as uh, Rex Tillerson was in the, of course, in the in the White House, and then we had, of course, McMaster. They were against uh, the Americans going out of the, of course, GCPOA, and they were for negotiation. And this is the impression of Rex Tillerson with Zarif. He is highly educated. He is highly respectful. And there was a way to work out between Iran and Rex Tillerson. But Rex Tillerson is fired. John Bolton is coming. And you, you know that one of the reasons John Bolton was fired was the issue of Iran, because he had a very hard line type of, you know, John, policy. I, I know, John. He, yeah. He's your yeah, basic uh, hardcore neoconservative. No, what, no, what, what, what I want to <laughs> tell but you... Trump wasn't really in favor of his approach to Iran, isn't that correct? No, he was yeah. not. Right. So, Jeffrey, yeah. do you think President Trump was actually pushed into this this action? And no. and then if you think... I mean, I mean, meaning that circumstances demanded it, but do you think he has a plan B? What comes next? I mean, that truly is a question many people are asking. Okay, let's concede. I know you won't concede, Jeffrey. I mean, uh, John, or but but let's concede that it was imminent. What comes next? Has it been thought through? Do we know how we're going to contain this? I, I certainly have no idea. I just think that he clearly believed, and as you know, I know him, and I had a chance to spend over an hour with him uh, last month, or mm -hmm. November, rather. Mm -hmm. He's not somebody that you push around, as it were. I mean, he he feels very, very strongly about things. He feels very, very strongly about running around the world, getting involved, sending troops, uh, you know, endless wars. He feels very, very strongly about it. So... I have no idea what's next. It's not borne out by his actions. Yeah. It's not, and we know, Joyce, also that Trump is prisoner to his passions as well. There's been significant reporting on this over the last 36 to 48 hours. The Joint Chiefs presented Trump with a list of options, ranging from the merely acceptable all the way up to the nuclear option of assassinating Soleimani. The president was given the list, went off to think about it, apparently watched the raid on the or the attack on the embassy in Baghdad. Right. That drove him over the brink and he said, okay, let's go with the option of assassinating Soleimani. So it's not as if it was rational and thought out. We know that the man is a prisoner to his passions. We know that he lashes out. We know is that he, he a prisoner to his passions? No. Jeffrey? He has yes, a, he you is. think no. he stops and soberly on it? No, I mean, honestly. And Jeffrey, I, I mean, he is a very, Jeffrey, very friend. thoughtful person. Jeffrey, my friend, the embassy ended in a few hours. The Iraqi government. You don't attack out. a country's embassy. I know. I, I, I mean, I'm sorry. You I just understand. don't do that. I understand. And you you don't assassinate an official of a sovereign state. Yeah. He wasn't assassinated. We are. Look, Iran has, in essence, been at war with the United States since 1980. Then you want to say this is part of the war? Well, of course, if this. If the general is out there plotting all sorts of things to kill Americans. And this is overall my point. Where was, you know, overall, what kind of plot this administration is talking about? Because from what we know, business was as usual in Iraq. Well, there, not, there was nothing, well, nothing, you know, It's not business as usual to attack the American embassy. I know, but what I'm and saying. And let's recall that that was I'm, famously done yeah, in 1979. What I'm there was no direct link between the Iranian instigation and taking the American embassy. And the Iraqi government came out and pulled, you know, everybody, of course, that was a hashed and, you know, some, some groups, you know, who were, you know, and their influence of, you know, so and so inside Iraq. Then linking it to the Iranians and justify it based on the American embassy takeover or, or for example, the attack on the, this is totally unfounded.
Well, and there is no evidence to back it up that the Iranian government was behind, you know, that but attack. But the Iranian government already did this in 1979. I know, but well, you can't right. hey, 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 guys, I get it. I get, I get it. There's differences of opinion. I will say this. I don't have any problem, not to side with my friend Jeffrey, but I don't have any problem imagining that Suleimani was up to something. I yeah. don't have any problem yeah. imagining yeah. that Iran was up to something. I really don't. Yeah. The question is, are we prepared for what comes next? <laughs> that is really the, my the, problem. The Go record, ahead. Joyce, of the Trump presidency is no. The record of the Trump presidency is not. That they act, that they lash out, there's no follow through. I don't think I don't think the White House went into this knowing what its plan B was. And yet to, to, to support to support, you know, uh, John's you know, argument, you know, that, you know, Trump came out uh, in the last couple of days hitting the cultural sides of Iran. And even yesterday. That is my Pompeo, concern. To and even wait. yesterday, Pompeo came out and it's, said, it's, you know, he didn't mean that. And, and Trump and, came and back down. and one more time emphasized, no, no, no I no, meant that. No, no, but I know he meant that. But here's the problem. Do you guys get the sense that Americans and Pennsylvanians understand the importance of Iran yeah. to world history and world civilization? And that these sites he's talking about taking out are human sites. They are not Iranian well, let, let sites. Me, they are histo- history of the um, of world civilization. Do we get that? Let, let me. I mean, I'm sorry. I get passionate about this. Well, let, I, I hate to say this, Joyce, but I'm agreeing with you. And for, oh, thank you. For, thank for, you. For, for <laughs> this re- for this reason, yeah. I, I saw that this was a survey from years ago, and I forget whether it was American high school kids or college kids. But they thought Lyndon Johnson was president of the United States during the Civil War. Yeah, wow. Uh, as somebody who yeah. reads American history, I think we are sorely lacking in this country that kids just don't learn And it. see, I can buy that. I can accept that. And, and we need to do a lot more work with our young people and with our older people. But your president needs to know it. Let's make a bottom line point here, though. We can't condemn the Taliban for attacking Buddhist statues in Afghanistan. We can't condemn ISIS for going after uh, sites in Jordan and Petra and then say that somehow this is different. Persepolis, Joyce, as you well know, is one of the most ancient sites in, in all, of the, mm-hmm. all of the Middle East. We can't hold I ourselves, a, we can't hold ourselves a, as any better or any different if we're willing to put ourselves on that same level. I, I would I, add that we live in a country where all kinds of people are pulling down statues from our own culture. Oh, don't okay. don't oh, even Jeff. go there. Jeff. Don't Jeff. even go there. Thank you. I, I, I didn't really know that you are. I'm just, just. So maybe you were going to know. The lost cause lives. You know, Jeff, my student didn't ask me. These are the symbol of the and so. And the bottom line, that was the symbol of slavery and keeping yes. the slaves. Yes, so you don't no, erase no, no, no. it. Keeping the slaves. You know, some argue that the differences between South and, you know, the Confederate and so on and so was about, you know, running, you know, their own affairs in the way, you know, they wanted. But that was not. That was about keeping their slaves. Yes. That was yes. against the norms in this country. <laughs> yes. So, so, Overall. Yeah. So what I want to yeah. keep us focused on, though, now, yeah. I, I get it. I'm, I'm, both of you, I think, are on the same side against slavery. Absolutely. So, <laughs> <we are. laughs> well, but, this is good. But what I'm concerned about is, do, are we all on the same page that we really have some ethics in war? And I mean, yeah. does the, the Trump administration realize that when you, you try to avoid citizens, uh, you know, people, civilians, you try to avoid historic sites and things that are important to global civilization. Are we on the same page with that? Joyce, Do you think no, with the Joyce, Trump administration? Let me just get this yeah, from you. Yeah, Do you think with the Trump administration, he gets that? And can you help? <laughs> can you help him get it? <laughs> I'm not his foreign policy advisor. <laughs> but you talk to him sometimes. I mean, you know. 
Well, I, I, it would I, be a blow to the uh, world. Uh, yeah, I, I frankly don't think this is going to happen. Okay. Uh, y- you know, uh, that's good news. That's but, good news. But I, I will say, I do. I'm think, sure John is uh, reassured. I, I do think that <laughs> I do think there's a degree of hypocrisy. You know, I, I I continually watch all these History Channel things, Military Channel things about World War II, and you you look at all of the history of uh, Berlin. Let's say. It was reduced to rubble. Yeah, well, good point. <laughs> By Americans. Dresden, um, yeah, I remember in I the say? bombing of Dresden. John, Jeff, you wanted I'm to sorry. throw something in. No, I mean, there's so much to unpack here. But, I mean, look, fundamentally, I think we are in agreement that attacking cultural sites is a war crime. I think we, I, I at least agree, and I think the doctor and I agree on this, that assassinating an official of a sovereign mm-hmm. state mm-hmm. is at war with this. Isn't, there's, no, there's no declared war. I don't recall. I don't, I don't recall Congress declaring war against the Islamic Republic of Iraq. We still, we still have to do Jeff, that, you know. Death Jeff. to America, the great Satan. Uh, Jeff, 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 those are not. That's Jeff, not a declaration of war. Those are not war. If we think it, think about it, you know, that way, then we are in war with so many places in the world at the moment. That that is not a. Going back to that, you know, that argument that then we had. There are two concepts in international relation when it goes back to war, and that is based on Christianity and Christian faith. And Muslims later on, of course, you know, added to this new concept. One, of course, is a justice of war. Just war. Yeah. How, how you, you, you overall, you know, understand that the war is just. And the other one is justice in war. When you participate in a war, there are cultural side. According to the 1954 convention, you cannot attack, of course, the, con- uh, of course, the, uh, the, the cultural side because these are called war crime. And this president does not have knowledge about, you know, those things. And he's repeating it. And I was, you know, thinking and I was hoping that after, of course, Pompeo, he comes back and, you know, say, no, I made, you know, perhaps, you know, not mistake, but I, I, I misread, I missed, you know, misspoke. Mis- mis- he emphasized it. This is a man that is at the helm of a democracy in this country. And I expect my my conservative, you know, friends like, you know, Jeff to be a little bit, you know, more pushy in, in that, you know, in that regard. You know, just, I, I, there America. are some there are some domestic issues here at play as well. I mean, one of the sort of fringe benefits, if you can even call it to this, to this event taking place, is Congress trying to reassert its war making powers. You know, the time was that the president, you know, we, have, we actually had a formal declaration of war since World War II, when the bombs fell on Pearl Harbor, that's when Congress actually voted to declare war mm-hmm. on the Axis powers. There have been congressional authorizations for conflict since. There have been UN resolutions for authorizations since. There's a useful discussion now about Congress taking back some of that authority. And I do think my good friend Jeff here would, is probably not a fan of the creeping power of the unitary executive. Right, right. Unless, unless I'm wrong. No. Well, we're no. going to let Jeffrey have the closing word on this because you've been under a little bit of attack, Jeffrey. But I think you've really no. you've helped no. yourself. No, 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 no. This but, is this yeah. is. But healthy. leave us with this some is... positive news. I mean, Absolutely. you don't think things are going to get bad. I mean, the rest of us right. honestly well, are worried. One of the, but you think it's going to be one okay. of the problems we have in American society is an event happens and we we pull out our crystal balls and we project. I would just tell you that if we revisit this conversation one year from now, everything will be different. And we, in fact, don't know what's going to happen. And we'll be at peace and not at war. Okay, with that, I want to thank everyone for joining us for yet another Battleground PA podcast. I want to thank Jeffrey Lord, John Mysick. Thanks for coming in. We'll have you again. Nice to have you. Yeah, thanks. And, of course, Dr. Mehdi Norbash, our expert, who actually knows what he's talking about. No, all of us know. Thank you. This was Battleground PA, 
Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion and editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. For more info and past episodes, visit us at battlegroundpa.org.